0: and her family um, because I had the blessing of being with you guys for Christmas and New Year's. We hadn't had a chance to go see them. So it was really refreshing uh, to my soul and I know to my wife's soul just to to be with them uh, in a little Persian community. Um, If you guys don't know this, my wife is Iranian American um, and her parents came over here in 79 after the revolution. And so there's like a little community of Persians in... uh, Kansas City, so we ate tons of rice and tons of kebab and all that kind of stuff. Stuff so you guys drank yogurt, milk, soda, stuff. It's awesome. Um, I didn't drink any of it because it's gross. But, uh, <laughs> but anyways, we're we're finishing up our series. Dave preached last week. Um, In the series of making change, you know, kind of the things, what are we doing in our lives that are going to make radical changes, specifically when it comes to generosity and giving. Um, The first week we talked uh, uh, about tithing, and then Dave came, talked really about kind of financial ways to make changes in your life to be a better steward of what God has given you. And today, what I'm going to talk about is kind of a little bit of a shift, but really making a change just really in your life. What I argue and what I'm going to argue today is something that has been passionately kind of instilled in my heart this past week. But what is the greatest resource that we have as the church? What is the greatest resource in the world, not just the church? And the answer is you. People. People resources. That's the greatest resource there is, better than finances, better than anything that you can think of that is a resource. People are the number one resource for for every single way. Financially, they're the best resource. If you have people, you can get things done. Just being created in the image of God, they're the most valuable resources, even though sometimes we don't view it that way, and we treat people like objects rather than Amago Day identity of God, people. But at the end of the day, most everyone in this room, in our country, in our world, we spend millions and millions of dollars, if not billions and billions of dollars, every single year on people. More so than we spend on anything else in this world. If there is a child that is struggling in the hospital, we will spend a hundred, if not millions of dollars to, to save that child's life. Now, I know there's some other perspectives and different things on people in the world, but in general, we would do anything we can to save the number one resource in this world, which is people, and that's why Jesus came and died on the cross, for the number one resource in the world. So, this sermon, what's it about? I'll give all those A-type people a heads up of what we're talking about, so it's easier to to follow along, but I want to talk about what what it means to make a revolutionary shift in your life at a kind of an evolutionary pace. Now, don't get hung up on the word evolutionary. What I mean is just slow pace. We talk about it all the time. It's one of the most used verses in Scripture, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Jesus goes, and what are we supposed to do as Christians? What are we supposed to do as believers in Christ? There's really only one thing that Jesus tells us to do. Now, there's a lot of sub things that come along with that. But the the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended is Matthew 28, 19. If you haven't been in church or if you've been around church or if you've looked at a postcard of a church, they probably have this verse on there. Everyone talks about this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what are we supposed to do? (laughs) You could end the sermon right there. Go and make disciples. We're supposed to go and make disciples. We're supposed to baptize them. We're supposed to tell them and teach them everything that we know about Jesus. And Jesus will be with us till the end of the age. So what is the church supposed to do? This is something that I'm ex- I've been so convicted about. And the reason, let me tell you why and how I got to this place. I was in Kansas City. I kind of alluded to that already. And Natasha's parents aren't believers, and they know that. So if they listen to the sermon, it's not like I'm going to offend them. They're not believers. Her dad grew up um, a devout Muslim, but then during the war and all these things, he saw the atrocities that, that happened because of what people were doing and kind of renounced his faith. In general, he's a, more of a humanist, just cares about people in general. Very kind man. Now, Natasha's mother is not that same story. She's kind of a, a nominal, well, I wouldn't say that. She's, she's um, a practicing Muslim woman. And, you know, prays for us, prays for our family all the time and stuff like that. And one of the things I realized when I was talking with them and meeting with them this weekend, her uncle and her family and everyone who is in the same situation, either one degree just kind of, left everything or still practicing, is that they would never come to church. If any one of you invited them to church, they would never come. Now, they've been before because I'm, you know, I'm the pastor and you know, they love their daughter, and so they've come when they've visited like, once out of the five times that they, they've come. And what it made me think and what it made me realize is that the way that disciples are made is through you. And not through me. See, we saw this kind of football thing, and I forgot that we were even shown this video, but I want to give you kind of an analogy of what the church has kind of become, or at least it's becoming. And hopefully, this will kind of knock the dust off of some of our, our thought process. But we're, we're kind of like the Super Bowl. We're kind of looking around at the church, and there's 22 like supreme physical athletes playing, and we're all watching. And we're cheering them on, you know, whatever. You like the Falcons or the Patriots or neither, whatever. You're cheering them on. You know, go win. Do it. Yay. And there's 100,000 plus people sitting in the stands that actually probably really need to go exercise. They don't need to watch the game. They need to get up and start walking. And that's kind of what's happening here. There's like 22 people. And I'm sorry if this is offensive, but there's like 22 people that are, are, are dying to themselves every day, not talking to people on stage, dying to themselves, doing the good fight, and we're cheering them on. Keep doing that. Keep doing that marriage ministry stuff. We're so proud of you guys. Hey, oh, you're helping the homeless. Yeah, here, man, here's 20 bucks. Keep it going. Good job, pat them on the butt as they walk out. But that's kind of the mentality we've had and we've kind of been discipled in. And a phrase that's convicted me, and this is said by a, a, a gentleman, this guy, his name's Glenn. This is, all kind, this is like, I should call it Kansas City Sermon. A guy named Glenn, he's a part of this network called the Gathering Network. He was a pastor. He's actually the one that discipled the girl that asked Natasha to become a believer in Christ. Natasha became a believer. I I won't share her story fully because she can share that. She became a believer in Christ in college around 20 years old because a girl came up to her and said, Hey, like, we all go to this church and we all love Jesus. Would you like to love Jesus too? And she goes, Sure, yeah, I'll do it. And she goes, well, you want me to, like, disciple you or something? That's the exact phrase. Her name is is Candace. We saw her this past week. And Candace began to meet with Natasha day in and day out for two years and disciple her and tell her about Jesus Christ. And she became a believer in Christ. Not not a pastor. Not at a church. She didn't walk forward. She didn't have that, that moment where she's sitting and somebody, it clicked for her. It was... Another 20-year-old girl saying, hey, do you want to become a believer in Christ? And she said, sure. <laughs> now, it doesn't always happen that way, but wouldn't it be amazing if it did? And we met with that guy who discipled Candace and kind of followed that spirit, spiritual lineage and he was talking to him, and he was telling me this stuff, and he had this phrase that was extremely convicting to me. Now, he's a guy that I, I really respect, but in the world standards, you wouldn't, you know, he's You know, he's got a church, you know, about 200 people, you know, he's just kind of plugging along, there's a, he doesn't, you wouldn't really know a lot of the things that are happening in his life, but he was telling me these stories about this community, this Bernese community in Kansas City, where six people in the church decided to go and move there and live there and help the Bernese people get their license and help them teach them how to grocery shop and all these things, and now there's six Burnie's churches by people that were discipled here. And then thousands and thousands of people all over the world just coming to this little church of 200 and leaving and going and being Christ around the world. And it's, it's really cool. And he said this to me, and it was extremely convicting to me, and where I, I kind of thought and processed this whole sermon. He says, if you make disciples, you will get the church. If you go and you make disciples, you'll get the church. But if you build the church you rarely ever get disciples. And you could plumb that down as deep as you want, but for me, what it made me realize is, and think is who is going to share the gospel with, with Natasha's parents? Who's going to share the gospel with her uncle, with her friends, her sister? Who's going to share the gospel for my family here in Savannah? Who's going to share it with your family? Because every one of you had invited the person that you love to church, and maybe they've come and maybe they haven't. But the gospel has to go. The truth of who Jesus Christ has to be sent. Jesus didn't say, go and make the church. He said, go and make disciples. And, that, and he didn't tell me. He didn't say, Grant, you've got to go make disciples in Savannah. It's part of my calling. But it's all of our calling. And so the problem is when we look at that and we hear that, you're like, "I get it, Grant. I hear you. I let's go. I want to make disciples. What, but what do I do? How do I do this? What, what, what is the purpose? What does it look like? And how do I do this?" And one of the ways that I see it happen clearly is in John, first chapter, John chapter one. We'll start in verse forty-seven. Now. We just got done, John, talking about Jesus being, you know, God, awesome. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All this cool stuff uh, about Jesus that you can use as apologetics um, in different circles. But Jesus calls his first disciples. um, Verse 35 through 42, Jesus talks, and he says, hey, you know, hey, come, come with me. You know, what are you seeking? Talking to um, Andrew and Simon Peter and all these hey, what are you? what are you guys looking for? Uh, I don't know, they're fishing. They're like, hey, well, come follow me. You know, come with me and I'll, I'll show you the world. <laughs> and he says, hey, you, you know, you're called Simon. I, I'm going to call you Peter now, all right? Weird little name change. But hey, come with me. You're going to be, you know, the, the, the rock that I built the church on. You find that out later. But this is the story I want to look at. So Jesus has called these people. So then the next day, this is the next day. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So Philip, he says, hey, come with me, follow me. And he's like, okay. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now Jesus already called Andrew and Peter and he says, Philip, come with me. Hey, oh, I know these two people. That's awesome. Let's all be friends and follow this guy. We don't know what he is, but let's follow him. Then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Pause. They recognize that this Jesus guy is different, and they know. They said, hey, back it up one. That's the spoiler. We found him of whom Moses in the law and all the prophets wrote. So you see that the scripture, everything, all this stuff that we don't like to read because there's a bunch of names we can't pronounce and cities we can't pronounce and a lot of stories and stuff. All of this is talking about one person. All of it, and all this too, but we know that. All of this is talking about one person. And Philip and Simon and Andrew, they know this. And they say, we found him. Philip, we found him. Philip said to Nathaniel, we found the one that we've been looking for, that guy, you know, the Messiah guy. We found him. And Nathaniel's response is this response that most of the time is what we get from people when we share Christ. What? What are you talking about? Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This this dude's from Nazareth, man. Are you kidding me? Like, that's not the good part of Savannah. Like, why would... Can any, you're telling me that Jesus came out of that? He's Joseph's son, man. We used to play soccer together. You know, like, can anything good come out of there? And Philip said to him, come and see. And it's not written here, but you can see Philip saying, I don't know. Dude, I don't know. That's a good question, man. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't, I don't know if anything good can come out of Nazareth. But, dude, I do know that this guy is who he says he is. I, hey, my child is in the hospital. was Jesus going to do? I, mean, I don't know. There's crises all over the world. I don't know. But, dude, come and see, because I know what Jesus has done in my life. And I know he's real, and I know he's changed and radically restored my heart and my soul. I used to be angry, and I'm not angry anymore. I used to be alone and afraid, and I'm not anymore. I used to be so centered and focused on myself, but I'm not anymore. I don't have the answers that you need. But come and see. Come and see Jesus. He can answer them for you. And I I don't know. But every single person in this room who's a believer in Christ, including myself, we don't have all the answers. I have assumptions and guesses about things, but I don't know. My father-in-law asked me question after question, and I answered to the best of my ability what Scripture says. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know, it's not because God doesn't care. What I do know is it's not because Jesus doesn't love us. So come and see. Come and see. Not come to church. Not come to this study. Not come to this. But come and see Jesus. And every single one of you in this room, if you're a believer in Christ, you're tasked with that responsibility. If you want to see the church grow, it involves us going and telling people about Jesus. Jesus. We continue on. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Kansas? Uh, Kansas yeah. Anything come out no, nothing. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, I don't know exactly what he said there in the Hebrew, but he said something that triggered in Nathaniel to say, How do you know me? Like, how do you know that about me? Maybe it's me saying something to somebody and you're like, I don't, how can you know that about me, Grant? Something that triggered in Nathaniel, a, a question that really stirred in his heart. And Jesus answered him, he said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, a lot of people talk about what Jesus actually saw or what Nathanael was doing or something that maybe he was struggling, maybe he was lonely, maybe he was crying. I don't know. There's a lot of assumptions, but there was something that triggered Nathanael to respond in a way that says, truly, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Somebody who says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? To Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are everything I've been looking for. Jesus answered him, because I said that I saw you under the fig tree you believe, you shall see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open up and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. We talked about this not last week, but the week before, that Jacob's response and why he tied was in response to worship because he saw Jesus. He didn't know it was Jesus, but he saw Jesus as the ladder in the dream. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I'm that man. You said, Moses and the prophets testify about me. And you know about Jacob's ladder. I'm that ladder that attaches heaven and earth. That's me. But you'll see greater things than this. And that's the realm that we work in as the church. We don't have the answers. I don't know how really to help people with their addictions. I really don't know how to build marriages. I really don't know anything. As your pastor, I don't know how to help you. Except... By telling you and teaching you and helping you understand the person that can, which is Jesus Christ. And I'm not apologetic about it. You see, the word church is called ecclesia. Ecclesia, these are definitions of the word for church. It says called out of self called out to love God and to love others, called out to be different and to make a difference. The reason that we come and gather in this building, which we should do, please don't misunderstand me when I'm saying this. I'm swinging the pendulum really hard to one side to help you understand, but the gathering is for this gathering. The reason that we come is to be called out, to be called out of ourselves, to be called out to love one another, anyone to be called out, to be different. We're different. The reason you're in this room, if you're a believer or not a believer, this is your first time. You came here for a reason. You don't just come to sit here and listen to music, even though it's phenomenal, and hear me preach because you sit and you're like, man, I really enjoy to learn about this Jesus guy. Like we won't, <laughs> we very rarely go and see movies that aren't five stars. So you're here for a reason, why? Why? Why are you here? Is it to be taught and to grow? Great. If so, awesome. I'm glad you're here. But the reason that I'm here is to encourage you and to empower you to go and to spread and to share the gospel. This is the place that is a hospital for the broken. When we go out into the world and we get rejected, denied, abused, and all these things, Jesus said they'll call the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more so will he malign his household, which is you all? And when you get beaten and broken up, this is the place that you come to be encouraged and restored so you can go get beaten and broken up again. But if you don't feel beaten and broken up when you come here on Sunday, something is missing. If your heart is not breaking for your neighbor, if your heart is not breaking for your family, something is missing. That's what this is about. That's the revolutionary shift. Now hear me, I don't want you to do anything different. No more programs, no more things. What I want you to do is to change your heart and your mindset when you engage people. There's no more time. I can't make 25 hours in a day. And you guys are already stretched to the max. But Ephesians talks about this, you know. Ephesians 4, I'm gonna read it out of the message because I think it's really interesting. It says, He handed out gifts of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and the shepherd or the pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we are all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and gracefully in response to God's son, Jesus, fully matured adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. God has given people gifts. All of you have been given gifts. For each of us, God weaves an intricate and intimate design of a gift, a passion, pain, place, and experience. What do I mean by that? You have all been gifted with certain abilities. Now, all of you are not gonna be evangelists, preacher, teachers. We're gonna run out there and do all these crazy things and whatever. But some of you are shepherds and you know how to care for people and love people and do things that I'm not gifted at. And so when the church functions together, it starts to move together. And we start to be the church, moving rhythmically, easily towards the goal of sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. Because the problem is this, if we, if we just use the gifts, if the gifts we stand alone, if they're just by themselves, apostles work out of new ideas by using people. Prophets become belligerent and otherworldly. Evangelists ne- de- neglect discipleship. Teachers fall into dogmatic or dry intellectualism. Shepherds value stability to the detriment of the mission. If any of these gifts are used isolated and alone, you can see where the pendulum swings too far and it destroys the body of Christ. I don't have all five gifts. Jeff doesn't have all five gifts. Stan doesn't have all five gifts. That's why God created a body. So that we can work rhythmically and easily towards the goal of sharing the love of Christ with everyone. Now, how does that happen? How does discipleship happen? It honestly happens just By doing it. For me, I I am so selfish, I would never get up in the middle of the night and be disciplined to do something. Just randomly pop up in the middle of the night and say, you know what? I'm going to go read my Bible and do this. But God, in his divine mercy, has given me children. (laughs) I know. But I love my children more than I love myself. And I'll get up and I'll, I'll pick up my child and God uses that as a way to disciple me. It's the same with you. Some of you have experienced some really true devastating pain in your lives and, and experienced it. God's putting you in a space and a place, where there's other people who have that same pain. And you get to engage them and you have credibility because God has gifted you with the ability to engage that person. The problem is we don't share each other's stories. We don't share the truth of Christ. We don't engage. And part of that is just being the church. We've talked about this before, and i talk about it again. Why do we have a children's ministry? Somebody uh, To watch your kids so you can come and sit here and listen to me? No. It's so that they have an environment with other children where they could be discipled and learn and poured into and grow. Where people can say, hey, let me tell you on your level who Jesus is because Grant's not doing a good job over there, so we're going to send you over here where you can really get the nuts and bolts of who Jesus is. So they can grow up in a culture where they learn Christ. Why do we have people that greet the front door? Because there's people that walk in here every week that are lonely and no one has talked to them. Why do we have coffee? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we have decision counselors? People that come forward willing to share their life with you. It's so that you're not doing this alone so that the body of Christ can function because a shared burden is an easier burden. What does it look like for us to say, come and see? The reason that we have people serving, the reason that we have people volunteering and engaging in doing this is so that we can be the body of Christ. Why do we have people give communion? Because it's important to recognize that the body represents Christ's body. The bread, it represents Christ's body, and The juice represents his blood, and we need somebody to hand it out so that every single other person in this room can experience what it means to be in relationship with Christ through communion. That's why we do that. That's why we say, hey, we need eight people to sacrifice one hour a week so everyone can experience Christ through communion. Why do we have people give offering? Because we need somebody to say, hey, we're excited that you're ready to give your sacrificial blessing here Here's the blessing that God has said I need to sacrifice. The one that James and I sat at the table with saying this is God's money and you have the opportunity to collect that from me. It's not because we need you to do stuff for us. It's so that other people can experience Christ. And the thing is all of you need to do it because everyone needs to experience Christ. Not just in this building, but outside of that. So I have two questions and I have some other things. Two questions to think about as we continue because I'm finishing up. What are the two things that you're willing to do this year for Christ? Not for the church, not for me, not where you're gonna volunteer, not any of those things. What are the two things you're willing to do this year for Christ? Now maybe one of those things is, hey, I'm gonna plug in. I'm going to disciple children, or I'm going to engage in greeting, or I'm going to do something that God's gifted me with. Maybe it's, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to help people disenfranchised in our city. Maybe I'm going to go to Hope Academy. Maybe this. What are the two things that you're willing to do for Christ? And if it's super small, that's okay. If it's just, hey, I'm willing to pick up the bulletins at the end. I don't really want to talk to anyone or see anyone. Or I'm willing to bake cookies for somebody who just had a baby or I'm willing to engage in marriage, or hey, you know what, maybe it's as radical as, hey, I'm willing to uh, adopt somebody who's struggling. Whatever that is, whatever you're willing to do for Christ, I want you to think about that. I want you to process that. I want you to take that home, and I want you to write down, pray about it, and say, these are the two things I'm willing to do for Christ this year, and do them. We no longer need to be a professional team. No longer do we need 22 people doing everything. We need the 100,000. We need the body of Christ engaging. If you're a believer in Christ, you need to engage the natural rhythms of your life and engage people with the gospel. You eat lunch, invite people to lunch. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand here if you've ever been lonely. Okay. For those who haven't, This is a bolder request. Raise your hand right now if you're lonely, if you are lonely. All right, there's two people in the back. All right, Marsha, right here. I want you to take those two people to lunch. It's Eric and Trevor. That's how discipleship works. Who else is lonely? (laughs) (laughs) That's how discipleship works. Thank you. I, I didn't mean to call you guys out. Thank you for being willing to vulnerably say that. I'm lonely. Not that I've been lonely, but right now in this moment, I'm lonely. That's how discipleship works. When people are vulnerable and they engage, and then somebody's stepping in the gap and saying, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Who's broken, who's hurt. That's where the gospel goes. That's what it means to make disciples. Now, every single person in this room can do that. I am giving you permission. This is what I'm giving you permission right now. I am giving you, everyone in here who is a believer in Christ, I am giving you permission right now to be dangerous for the gospel to make decisions that are dangerous for the gospel. Because maybe I just haven't given you permission. What does it look like for us to say, come and see? Not the church, not me, not you, but what does it look like to say, come and see Jesus? And if you're not prepared for that, then ask somebody to help you. If you're not willing to ask somebody to help you, then I need you to reevaluate if you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. This isn't some motivational speech to say, go do stuff. This is a motivational speech to say, hey, go be Christ, because there's a lot of people that don't know him. There's a lot of people that are lonely. There's a lot of people that are dying. There's people in this room that didn't raise their hand that are lonely. And I'm glad that we got to shake their hands during the welcome and say, hey, welcome. I see you. That's why we do what we do. I need people to help me with children. We need people over there to keep them safe and security. We need people to disciple them. I need people to stand at the door and say, hey, you're not in this fight alone. I need people to come up and not be the same three people every week that are decision counselors because you guys have stories too. You've been hurt and you've been broken before. Not to call you out, but just to ask. Raise your hand here if you volunteer. Thank you. It's not that many people. Raise your hand if you volunteer at multiple services. We need more people to engage the body of Christ. Maybe I've just never asked. I want you to come with me. One of the things I'm personally doing is this, and I'm gonna do this too. This is I've been told this is a bad decision. One of the last things I'm gonna do, I'm gonna put my phone number on the screen. That's my phone number. You can pull your phone out now. If you wanna hear from me throughout the week, you can just text me, just put your name and your number. Say, hey, this is Josh Lynn. You already have my number, but I want to hear from you every week. That's it. We'll leave it up. You don't have to do it right now. I'll leave it up until they start singing. You know, you can write it down. You can do whatever you want. But if you text me your name and your number, I will engage you every week. S- scripture, maybe a thought, maybe how I'm processing the sermon, whatever it is, so I can be with you. Because discipleship works with us being together. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm done. That's, that's the, I, I need to be done. Um, I've kind of lost it. Listen, the church is a place where we come and we engage Christ so that we can go and we can be Christ. Remember that. The only way to become a deeper and more true disciple of Christ is to engage and just to disciple others. It's okay not to have the answer. It's okay not to know but it's not okay not to be. It's not okay not to be Christ. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that that's convicting to you. Because if you think you're doing enough, you don't even understand the message. It's not about doing anything for Christ. It's about being Christ. And understanding that the only way to be Christ is to engage with him and to engage with his people. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done. I thank you that we have a place where we can come and gather without persecution, without fear, where people can raise their hand and say, hey, I'm lonely, and somebody willing to step in the gap and say, no, you're not, because I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be Christ with you. Lord, help us to come and see so we can go and show others. Lord, I thank you that we have people in our church like Greg who comes and and does announcements and just wants to engage our church and help people who don't even know where to start get connected to the body of Christ. Lord, you haven't gifted me with that ability, but you have gifted Greg so that people don't fall through the gaps, so people can go and disciple children and and be there so you can find a place to, to park or where you know that every week I'm going to show up and I don't know how it happens, but there's going to be bread and juice. That my bulletin's going to be stuffed. That the scripture that really spoke to me today is going to be written on that bulletin that somebody printed out. Lord, that everything we do is purposed and planned to point people to Jesus. Lord, I pray personally, Lord, that I don't become a person who uses people to achieve a goal, but rather I disciple people into being like Christ. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.